Welcome to If The Walls Could Talk, a series of conversations about smart buildings, connecting key thinkers in the property industry with each other and with you. I'm Jules Barker, Global Director of Product at WideScore, the certification company dedicated to making the world's buildings smarter and better connected. User-first design is a topic we've covered extensively in the series so far. We spoke to Peter Bicknell and Philip Schals from 22 Bishopsgate, a building that challenged the approach to workspace design. We also heard from Dan Drogman, CEO of Smart Spaces, on creating tech solutions for smart buildings that work for all stakeholders. And we got the view of the consultant too, Anthony Morgado from JLL, the technology engineers helping landlords realise their smart building plans. Today we're going to discuss some of the findings from those conversations, and I'm really happy to be joined by my boss, Ari Barendrecht, CEO and founder of WideScore, and by Tommy Crowley, WideScore's Global Director of Asia-Pacific. Welcome both. Good to see you, Jules. Good to see you, Tommy. Hey, guys. Good to see you. So one of the things I took out from those series of conversations was how important it is to get the basics right, to get the foundations right in a building when you first start. I don't know what your reflections were on that, Tommy. Yeah, I completely agree. I think that came out really strongly in in all three of the conversations. And I think... um, Jules, you put the question to Anthony and Magado, you know, what's the one thing you would fix in the industry or, or across the industry? And he said the interoperability of systems. And that theme came out really strongly across the different conversations. Um, and I, I particularly liked P- Peter Bicknell from the 22 Bishopsgate. Um, he used the analogy of a mobile phone where he talks about, you know, as long as the base system is right, each user can adapt it to their needs. And we can think about that with a phone in terms of apps. And you could obviously think about that with a smart building. Yeah, that's right. And I think that's one of the one of the many areas that you've got to think about retrofits in, because there are some things that you can retrofit and some things that you really can't. And Dan Drogman talked a little bit about how retrofitting isn't as expensive as you think it is. But with data, it really is going in and changing the data structures and the ontologies further down the line so that you can connect with different systems is really difficult. So thinking about interoperability is really, really important. The integration of data into a singular view, as we have when we look at our mobile phones, is the North Star for for a smart building. And it's not just about collecting data from different systems. It's about the integration of that data. The example that wasn't mentioned that I always like is this idea that you could collect data in silos around kind of building entry and access control and separately um, how elevators are used and, and how and when people go up and down in the lifts. But the power really comes from understanding how people are getting from the front door of the building to their uh, respective uh, office spaces so that the lifts can be optimized and put in the right place in the building. And that's only possible through data integration. Something I hear in the industry quite often, I think, is this mistaken view that a building app makes a smart building. And it was really clear from, from everyone we spoke to that actually you've got to dig down into what will really add value to the users. And that's not just deploying an app and getting it out there. Yeah, I totally agree. It really rang true from everyone in, in there. And I really liked um, when Dan Drogman from, from Smart Spaces was talking about, you know, focusing on those sticky features. What are the things that the toothbrush effect he referred to it as? 
what are the things that people are really going to open their app for every day and want to use it? And and I thought the Twenty Two Bishops Gate team talks about that well, where they said, you know, people have already got apps for transport. They've already got apps for you know delivery, food panda, wherever Grab in in Singapore for delivering their food. We're going to focus on access to the building because that's one thing they need us for, and we're going to focus on you know the restaurants in the building, and they're the two things we're really going to do. And I think that's so important. So many people now seem to kind of put their app out as like, oh, we've got a smart building because we've got an app. But tenants don't really care unless it's delivering something new, something more efficient, something faster. It's not enough to just think about a couple user outcomes in the beginning. Like that, that is, of course, a great place to start. But going back to the mobile phone, having that foundation of interoperability and, and data integration, that is actually the starting place. And then you can start to focus on uh, different user outcomes like energy monitoring and predictive maintenance over time. So it's not enough to just pick a couple things and deliver point solutions to deliver great outcomes there. It really has to be that foundation so that after you get the first two outcomes right, you can then move to the next one and the next one that you want to deliver for your users. Technology in itself is constantly innovating and the technology you think about and choose at the beginning of, of your development is going to be completely changed you know, by the end, what's available, um, which links back to what we've already talked about in terms of getting your foundations right, but also links to how do you get there and, and make sure that you're set up not only with those foundations um, to be able to incorporate those future technologies. And there was a point that came out for me around collaboration. And it came out very much from the, the 22 Bishopsgate team who talks about working with you know, a wide range of specialist providers and collaborating them with, with them very closely and bringing them in to innovate together and to keep evolving because um, they you know, kind of recognize it's this constant journey. So I think that sort of constant learning journey and that innovation was another sort of key, key aspect that came out for me. Tommy, I completely agree with that. For me, the other thing that also came out for what it's worth is the importance of your technology delivering better outcomes than you could have done without technology. I think it's really easy to deploy tech for tech's sake and to spend money on technology because you think it'll market the building better. But ultimately, for a building to be smart, it's got to have both technology and excellent outcomes. Otherwise, it's just technology. The idea of flexibility is a key design decision really came through for me, which is which is flexibility is a word you don't hear often in, in real estate, given how hard it is to and how long it takes to design and build uh, these big, uh, you know, illiquid assets. Um, but it sounds like particularly Peter and Philip, but also Anthony talked about making decisions that would always give flexibility for the building to evolve, uh, to meet tenant needs or user needs, not just now, but in the future. Um, and that's such a hard thing to keep in mind. I think you know, stepping away from real estate, even just thinking about software development principles, when you're building a software product, there's all these trade-offs you have to make between building something today that might be less expensive to build um, or you can build more quickly but won't enable you to be nimble or change the use of your code in the future and, and kind of solve a, a pain point or a user requirement today. A lot of times building in flexibility takes a really long time and it can be expensive but the key to a smart building is kind of to enable that flexibility so that there's a platform to build off of to deliver 
user outcomes that maybe we're not even conceiving of today as priorities, but might be priorities to users in three or five or 10 years. So another topic that we haven't touched about quite so much that I think came through in all three episodes is, is that of the importance of a joined up approach across all the different stakeholders. Tommy, you mentioned that a little bit at the beginning with respect to 22 Bishopsgate, but how important did you feel that the need to be joined up came through on those podcasts yeah it came through really strongly for me i think it's absolutely critical and and links in in my head you know very closely with this interoperability point if you're not joined up if you're not working together to get the most out of the data to get the systems talking to each other how can you get the most out of your investments in smart overall i like the way that dan drogman from smart spaces talked about smart spaces playing that role to drive end-to-end accountability to all the different players from your hvac to your access controls your lighting you know all those different systems are, are a force to sort of work together and of course smart school plays a really important part there because it's a framework um, to really highlight the importance of that joined up approach the importance of the interoperability um, using the framework another point that dan made connected to that was how now the way he sees the best way of doing it is to take systems and convert them to how the users today want to use them uh, ari do you think that's changed in your experience in 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 how users interact with tech and infrastructure Yeah, I I thought that was remarkable. I was thinking back to 2013 when we launched Wired Score. And at the time, we were talking to landlords about the importance of connectivity and connectivity infrastructure in their buildings. And the main reaction from the landlord side of the table was, um, you know, we understand connectivity is important, but it's really a, a tenant problem to deal with. Like we provide this beautiful building and the tenants can deal with their technology. And you know that wasn't that long ago. That was that was eight eight or nine years ago. I think over time, landlords have taken uh, more ownership and, and responsibility for providing a great tech experience in their buildings. But maybe like phase two, if phase one was it's a tenant problem, phase two has been okay. Um, I, as the landlord, understand I have to deliver great technology to my users, um, but I'll I'll decide how it, how that works. I'll decide what tenants have access to in the building. And it's, it wasn't collaborative. And I think there was a lot of challenges with that. There's multiple examples of tenants moving into buildings and uh, being really unhappy with the technology available because there was no flexibility or opportunity for the tenant to customize the tech experience, to bring in their own connectivity infrastructure if they wanted to. Um, and that led to a lot of friction. And now we're in this kind of next phase, which is more collaborative. And it's landlords working with tenants and other stakeholders to provide experiences that they want and pro- provide foundational infrastructure that can then be customized and tailored for each user. Yeah, I agree. And I thought that Peter and Philip in 22 Bishopsgate talked about that really beautifully as well, when they said they didn't see their job as delivering a smart building as an, as an end product, but, but creating a platform that together they and the users and the owners and all the stakeholders can over time develop and improve into something even better. I thought that was a wonderful idea. What a fantastic mindset, because if you were a tenant choosing a building, you would want one that's evolving with your needs, not one that is kind of stuck in, in point of time and never getting better. And I, I was really excited about that. One of the other topics that I thought came up fascinatingly from our perspective as a 
a global company is the, the the notion of global globalization or the internationality of smart buildings. Dan Drogman commented that in his experience, having delivered smart buildings on different continents, that a smart building was the same in in different places. And Tommy, I, I wonder maybe as uh, as our leader in uh, a new geography for WideScore, have, it, does that ring true with you? Do, do you think that the the challenges facing the smart building industry in Singapore are similar to those we've seen in Europe and North America? Absolutely. I mean, firstly, the challenge of getting those technological foundations right is is universal. So I think we can take that as a given. What do your users want, those user functionalities? And I expect that might be where you see a little bit of difference geographically um, to do with different cultures. But broadly speaking, people want the same good experiences. They want to increase their efficiency. They want to address those pain points they have entering the building or with comfort control. So I do think there's a lot of commonalities globally and it's it's a global problem that we're sort of addressing together. Ari, do you have any reflections? I realise you and I sit on the opposite sides of the Atlantic. Do you have any reflections about how um, smart buildings are different in North America compared to Europe? There are large differences when you look at different real estate companies. And I think everyone is somewhere on that spectrum of shifting from um, installing point solutions to address specific pain points into taking a more holistic uh, kind of cross-system approach. And I'm really excited to see that shift happening cross cross real estate. Yeah, me too. I think one of the ways that you're, you're both quite right that, that fundamentally geography to geography, there's not so much difference. My observation is that in Singapore, there are far fewer legacy buildings than say there are in London. And, and that's the bit that makes decisions very different for a landlord. Although I was really pleased to hear Dan suggest that actually, in his view, retrofitting smart technology into buildings isn't as expensive as one would think either. That's going to be ever more important as we go forward, as we see, um, you know, we all know about the sort of pressing need to address the climate crisis and the importance of not just redeveloping buildings, right? How do you refurbish, bring assets into the kind of next phase of their development? Um, and smart technology can play a really important role in that. So it was, it was really heartening, I think, actually, to hear Dan say that, you know, it's possible you can go back and retrofit these older assets with this smart technology and bring them into the kind of their next era. Um, a, a great outcome for the environment, we hope. And of course, there's going to be a lot more on sustainability to come in further episodes. Ari, Tommy, thank you very much. That was a brilliant conversation. Well, that's it for this episode. Thank you all for listening. And if you like what you hear, you can subscribe to If the Walls Could Talk using your usual podcast provider. Thanks for listening. Thank you.